Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Excellent. And how are you? Uh, I'm pretty well. I'm still awake and uh, sort of enjoying <laughs> the, uh, uh, in, in sort of a um, low-key way, I'm to know our sixth consecutive victory, tying oh. the season high and, in fact, tying the franchise high for the last 20 years. I think it was 00-01 the last time Oilers had a win streak as long as seven games. It's kind of surprising when you realize that includes all of the uh, every game has a winner era of the NHL, otherwise known as the shootout era. So you don't have any ties to pollute your uh, uh, potential winning streaks. You have a chance to win your ties. So. Anyway, it's nice to get to six. It'd be nicer to get to seven on Saturday afternoon, but uh, let's enjoy this one. And I'm enjoying it in the way that, you know, the old saying, never critique a win. There you go. And lately I've been hearing things like, geez, you know, we let the Sharks get to overtime last night, had to come from behind to beat it. Really, we should clobber those guys. And every time Oilers win a game in which they haven't, been on top of their game and they found a way to win it anyway so to me that's a positive you know a bad team they have to play their a game ever to win and they don't always even then whereas a a, a really good team can win with their a game their b plus game their b game sometimes even their c plus game you know they can just find a way to grind it out at the end and and pick up a point or two and the orders are getting to be more and more of that team yeah, they can. They really are. Like for the first time in the McDavid era, other than the playoffs last year when they dominated against Calgary, they they looked like a team then that had figure out how to win different kinds of games. Although really they they won the, those Calgary games by outscoring. But against Los Angeles, they had won some tough defensive games. Yes, but they didn't build on that for the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. But they're building on it now, Bruce. In these in this last stretch of games, the Edmonton Oilers really are coming across as a team that um, has all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways they're going to beat you, and they'll beat you in a barn burner. They'll beat you in a tight checking neutral zone um, chess game. You know, a, a gritty tight checking game like they did against LA, and they'll beat you in a totally dull snoozer boring nothing game um where nothing's tonight. going on and their top and their top players this is tonight's game their mm-hmm. top their top players are not going at all their top players are on snooze control like you know they just hit that button for 10 more minutes in the morning and they kept hitting it through the game Bruce 10 more minutes mm-hmm. 10 more minutes of rest and they <laughs> the top guys never did get it going really except for well, not uh, to their usual extent and I think they were pitch. given David, they were given a night off to some degree. I think that was part of the reason that um, uh, uh, Coach Woodcroft went back to 12 forwards was he didn't want to be doubling up the load for uh, for the big guys playing with the two fourth liners. He just wanted to roll four lines out there. And you know what? He did that very, very successfully at even strength. Uh, the lowest forward was Derek Ryan at 11 minutes and 11 seconds at evens. And he also got a minute on the PK. 
and the high, <clears throat> highest forward was, let me find it, uh, Connor McDavid at 1643. So barely five minutes different top to bottom in the lineup. And you compare that to some games earlier this year where there were six and even seven forwards that were under 10 minutes some nights. And you'd see McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nugent, Hopkins all stacked up in the 24, 25, 27-minute range a couple nights. And so tonight, being a back-to-back and having, you know, having to expend the resources they did last night, where it was a big team effort, there was a lot of hits being thrown. I would dare say a few sore bodies playing out there tonight. And the idea was to oh, survive this game and, and to nurse it home. And they did. So no um, problem to you. Three to one. That's a good score to win by, whether it's at Los Angeles or at Anaheim. The grade A shots were 13 for Edmonton, five for the Ducks. Subset of five alarm shots, eight for Edmonton, three for the Ducks. So the the Oilers dominated this game. Three and to one. It was, it was their um, it was their um, role players who really uh, led the charge and their power. They only had the one power play, but it was uh, didn't score, but they they put up some chances there too. Um, and a shout out to Bob Stoffer, Bruce, who predicted forty at least forty seven wins, forty seven to fifty two wins for the Oilers, and uh-huh. I, um, I I thought they would get. Um, probably about 110 points this year. So um, how many games left do they have? Four, three? Three, three games left? Yeah. So they, they can't get to 110, but they are now at 103 points. Get to 50 wins. So they could get to 50 wins. And um, they, 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 you know, they got off to a rough start, largely due to weak goaltending. Uh, but um, they have really been cooking lately all right two good things two bad things and two numbers the cult of hockey's unique formula for Mm -hmm. discussing the game what is your good thing bruce yeah just one good thing each tonight david i think there was not such a huge amount going on That, that said i mean i could spread this around through uh, more than one if I cared to, but I'm just going to pick the third line of uh, uh, Nick Bukestad between Clem Costin and Matthias Janmark as my good thing. Uh, they produced both goals for Edmonton that, that were actually scored against uh, Lucas Dostal in the uh, Anaheim net, the same guy that stole the game here in Edmonton back on December 15th that I, for one, still regret. Those two points would have made a lot of difference right now in the standings. Anyway, he played well tonight, and he could have stolen this game, but uh, Oilers uh, uh, netminder Jack Campbell was up to it. But uh, I, I like the line that produced the goals, and particularly the goals themselves, which included some just some real solid teamwork and positional play by those uh, by those three guys. And the uh, uh, the Costin goal that uh, that opened the scoring, uh, where basically he and Yanmark um, came in right up through the middle of the zone on a, on a two-man sort of in-zone attack, and meanwhile Bukestad had staked out uh, uh, a big amount of territory, basically right in front of the net, a few feet out from the goal crease, and while. Uh, Costin was passing the puck to Janmark and taking the routine the return pass. Uh, Dostal is trying to look around a, a great big frame of Nick Bugstad, and he's kind of weaving in and out, trying to pick up the pass. And it's like 
Bugstad didn't screen the shot so much as the pass was what I was thinking. And when I looked at a, a re one of the replays, it showed that the actual shot by Costin went through Bugstad's legs before, and, and uh, Dostal picked it up late, and he really didn't pick it up at all because he let puck in close to his body. But just because the uh, the way they played it, really nice pass, really nice pass by Matthias Janmark. Oh yeah, who held held the puck an extra split second. Uh, to to open the lane and and then delivered a beauty across that uh, Costin was able to uh, clip into the net. I wouldn't say he got great wood on it, but he kind of got lucky. Went through Bugstad's legs and then basically handcuffed uh, Dostal. So that made it one nothing. And then it was just three minutes and uh, ten seconds later that they scored the second goal. And of course, this one wound up being the game winner. And Robbie Brown made an astute point on uh, on uh, uh, Ched on the post game show I was just listening to, and he talked about how often on some teams, you know, the the depth players in the bottom six, there's no way they would ever get two shifts that close together. You might sit on the bench for eight or nine minutes before you get your next shift, but they really were rotating the lines tonight, and this was a time where it paid off. And this time it was Nick Bukestad with the finishing touch uh, on a pass. Uh, that came out of the corner from uh, Costin. Nice pass, decent shot, not, not any kind of rocket, but uh, again, he handcuffed uh, Dostel and close to his body. Janmark was not involved in this scoring play, just as Bukestad wasn't involved in the first, but this time Janmark, like Bukestad on the last one, again, staked out a very good, important piece of ice just off to the side of the net that turned out to be the lane through which the pass went, and he kind of blocked... I think a defender or two from really getting to where he wanted to be, and uh, so even though he, he didn't get a point, uh, he got rated on our system for winning winning a battle there. And Bugstad on the first goal, he didn't get a point, but he got rated by our system for the screen. So each of those scoring plays, uh, which netted the three players four points in all, two for Costa and one for the others, but we rated all three on both. And it was just some really solid uh, plays there. And for Clem Costin playing in his 100th NHL game to score score goal assist and uh, earn first star honors, pretty nice way to do it. Way to go, Clem! It's nice to see a big game from him. He's been quiet for a while, and he'd like to think Orders would want to get him going in the uh, in the playoffs. Last night he was good. He played a he played a hard game, and tonight he finally got rewarded on the score sheet again. Bukestad's uh, screen on that first goal. I mean, <laughs> he's quite the guy in front of that. Who was that big Arizona center who used to be in front of that all the time when Tippett was coaching that? Oh, team? yeah, Hansel, Martin Hansel. Oh, Martin Hansel, yeah. That yeah. was another. I think he was 6'7 six, or 6'6. Six, six yeah, or he was right like up there and, and had this huge long reach and reasonable soft hands, you know? Like he wasn't a speedster, but he could make plays. Yeah. And that kind of describes Bukestad, I think. Yeah, the total eclipse of the sunscreen. And, um, yeah, Costin on both those goals, Just he just now and then, he he reminds me in, in some ways a lot of Cassian. Mm-hmm. Because in his prime, Cassian was very similar to this. Just now and then, he would just flash nowhere, incredible hey, skill. Play. Yeah, yeah. Just, just really could make a, make a fine offensive play. And it wasn't 
that uh, that often, but it was enough that it was extremely tantalizing because a player that big and that aggressive could also have some skill. And of course, in the end, that's what earned Cassian a promotion to the top line and a four-year contract um, for $3.2 million that uh, many other fans regretted the day it was signed, um, as I recall. But um, anyway, uh, Costin is a similar kind of player to Cassian. And um, those kind of players, when they're in their... At $750,000, that's a player that helps you. Yeah, but yeah, those are... When they're in their prime, mm-hmm. um, they are ext- they can be very valuable to a team. And we'll see in the playoffs, especially. I mean, there was one the one playoff year, 2017, Cassian was a dominant player for the Oilers, especially against um, the San Jose Sharks. And um, Costin could become a similar kind of folk hero. And, you know, he is cheap right now, Bruce. We'll see what happens after the playoffs. I mean... Whatever you think you're going to sign any of these older players for right now who have contracts coming up, it all changes in in the next month, maybe two months, maybe three well, months. After well, orders win the cup, you know, those guys become, uh, they get cachet around the league and, you know, you wind up seeing things happen like Barkley Goodrow signing for six times five with New York Rangers or, or uh, Blake Coleman signing for a similar down in Calgary. Yes, and, you know, even though they're kind of, and at $5 million, those guys are, are tough to tough to cover off the value, whereas at 800000 or even one point two, or, you know, uh, they're, they're gold because they outperform that value in, in a depth role. And that's what Costin is sort of doing for the orders. Like, ask me again after the playoffs how much he outperformed. Uh but you can ask me right now if it's a value contract, and I'm going to say yes, seven hundred fifty thousand. Oh yeah, there's no. He's already done that. I mean, he mm-hmm. he provided a huge boost to the orders when they needed it. You know, he was such a he was one of the first things. Like right now, everything's going right. Right, every right. arrow's up on the orders. Every single one of them. It's hard to think of one thing that's not going right. But when he came in, when Costin first broke in with the orders, everything was going wrong. Much, at mm-hmm. least much was going wrong. There was the, the top guys, Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, and Dreisaitl. They were going right. But just about everything else on that team at that point was going wrong. And then this costing guy comes on and things start to change. So that was a big moment for the team. Yeah, he's already earned, obviously earned his pay this year. And uh, he could, uh, you know, be an extreme value player, depending on how he does in the playoffs. I would argue that he earned, you know, he covered that value basically in, uh, first three four weeks after Kane got hurt, which was when he got called up, right? That's Colin right. Costin got traded in a minor league trade at the beginning of the season for Samorkov, so they switched minor league teams, and he had to prove himself down there for a few weeks. And then when Kane got hurt, uh, the salary exchange was extreme enough that the Oilers could bring up two guys to replace him, and they brought up Janmark and Costin, and they've basically been in the lineup ever since. But at that time, the orders are, I mean, losing Kane was devastating. Like, he was the power forward on the team, really. Yeah. And there was a couple other guys that, you know, I mean, Fogel was, could do some of that stuff from time to time. Uh, but they didn't have a lot of size and aggression. And Costin brought both those things, 6'3", 215. And, you know, he could be a mean son of a gun uh, on some nights and tough on, on others. 
and uh, he, he sort of replaced Kane because Kane was Kane was going okay, but not great, great, great. And Costin uh, 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 did cover off some of the things that the Oilers were missing with Kane. And uh, some of us, when we heard saw that injury, and thought that's going to be a long three months before Kane gets back. But Costin uh, at least mitigated that hole to a, to a reasonable degree for the for the money he's getting like that was uh, uh, that trade has certainly been a big win in within this calendar year we'll see where it goes Bruce um, my good thing is Ryan Nugent Hopkins he had a good game he in the early power play he helped mm-hmm. set up three grade a shots with his very fine passing um, and he, uh, he got off a grade-A shot of his own uh, early in the second period. Uh, I think CC set him up with a low-high pass, and he fired a shot on net from the slot. But um, the big deal is 100 points for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and it is such a big deal. He's, he, is, he is now uh, one week away from turning 30, and um, he will his previous high came in the 2018-19 season, the year he played on the Dynamite line, the year that Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy. Right. He had 61 points in 65. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, his... No, I'm getting this wrong. 29-20 is the year of the Dynamite line. His previous high was the right. year before that, when right. in 81 games, he had 69 points. Mm-hmm. He had a better points per game in the year of the Dynamite line, 61 points in 65 games, but he's never broken 70 points before. And <laughs> I'm sure... I'm I'm like, this is a rare event in the NHL. I don't know how often it's happened that a player this far into his career has his best scoring year. It's not often, and uh, but it has been a f- absolutely fantastic thing for all of us, all Oilers fans, all Nugent Hopkins fans to behold. Such a uh, skilled, classy player, um, such a fine passer, a player who's stuck with Edmonton through thick and thin, uh, who's been with his team in terms of seasons pretty much as long as anyone now, other than, I guess, Kevin Lowe maybe was with the Oilers longer. Um, 15, 15 seasons, parts of 15 seasons yeah. for uh, Kevin Lowe. And uh, so far, 12 for R&H. So far. Yeah. Anyway, Bruce, it's Not like the best news. He's he. I, I saw someone was rating the value contracts of the top 100 Mm-hmm. Um, point scorers in the league, maybe, yeah. And, and Nugent Hopkins and Hyman were in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Not surprising, given their mm-hmm. uh, they're relatively modest by super, you know, star standard contracts. Uh, what is Nuge five point one million a year and Hyman five point five million a year? Yes. So, um, and it's just such good news for that both of them are playing so well this season because they're signed up long-term like these guys are Oilers. We're going to be rooting for them for a long, many years to come. And, uh, while Nuge had 50 points last year, Bruce, for instance, mm-hmm. in 63 games, he had 50 points. And this year he's, he's doubled that to a yeah. hundred. This is a, this it's, and he has become such a fantastic player on the power play. Mm-hmm. He, he, um, he's not, quite at the level uh, of deadliness as McDavid or Dreisaitl, but he's just a hair below them on the power play because his passing is so mm-hmm. fantastic. And he is, he is, I think, the first option 
when uh, Bouchard's got the puck now at the point. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was before. Clefbaum used him the same way, and so did Barry. First option and, is put him over to Nuge. Yeah, yeah. And then get set for Nuge to pull a guy out of position, make a blind pass back right on the defenseman's stick so he can feed McDavid or Drysaddle over on the other side with space and time. Yeah. And that's and sort of a standard opening gambit. Yeah. And now Nuge has that shot too, so he can do the back pass or... If the angle's there, he can he can he can take the shot. He can uh, pull it down, put it down to Hyman um, uh, near the net, um, you know, or or he can uh, fade over to the he can he can move it to Hyman or to McDavid, and then fade to the high slot where I get the pass, and then he can either shoot or set up dry settle. Like it's mm-hmm. this many is many options, many options. <laughs> yes, too many options for them to cover. Which for is the why guys, yeah. plays so, for the other guys to cover. Yeah. Which is why this, even though it's uh-huh. it's very fairly set things that are going to happen, there's so many permutations and combinations off that set, mm-hmm. off the basic set yeah. play that they just can't cover them all uh, because these guys can execute at such a high level with their passing. And he 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 is is a high uh, in terms of his passing. His passing on the power play is as strong as any of their passing. And that's saying a lot, considering he's playing with Leon Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's getting more decisive. You know, I'm I'm seeing, I think, burgeoning confidence in this player. Like, he's really almost swaggering out there. He's, he's just raised his level of, like, he thinks he's going to win the battle, and he often does win the battle. He's not taking any crap from anyone. Uh, you know, and sort of most games lately you see him going at it with one guy or two guys battling at some point during the game and he's always giving it back just as good as he's getting it he's not getting ever pushed around and we're seeing more snap decisions snap passes and especially snap shots one time he had another beauty tonight one time shot it was on and off his stick in a flash and that used to be one of the reasons he never scored 30 goals before was he you know he he, he always had to sort of catch and release Dusted the puck, yeah. Um, yeah, he didn't even dust it, but he would stop it, look, and shoot. And it was just, uh, you know, that extra time. And now he's not stopping to look because he figured out where the net is. It's, it was a Rock Richard says the net hasn't moved in 50 years, you know, should know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, one of those great uh, ancients, anyway. And uh, anyway, he's got... Uh, uh, and just such decisiveness in his game, and that's not just in the offensive zone, but it really stands out there. He's he's become very very good inside of his own blue line. I've noticed lately on the, especially on the PK, but also just general defensive situations. He's calm with the puck, but he you know he moves it quick, but he doesn't panic with it. That's a nice combination. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of people really admire him, and like he's the favorite player of of many many yeah. uh, people, including my wife. She's a huge Nugent Hopkins fan. She just loves the way Nugent uh, plays, as she calls him, Nugi Wuji Buji. Got a '93 <laughs> blue sitting in my own closet. To, to David, I should have worn it for this podcast. Because yeah, 100 is so, it's a massive milestone, so totally unexpected, you know, for this guy. I would have been happy to see him get to 80, and you know, 100 is just wow. Well, even in his career, Bruce, like as a as a um, junior hockey player in his draft year when he was drafted 106. here in the first overall pick, he had 106 points in 69 mm-hmm. games. It's not 
yeah. impossible that he's going to equal his that that total 106 this fun. year. That would be very nice. I don't think he's you know that'll be two points a game for the rest. But anyway, Bruce, what mm-hmm. is your bad thing, Amundo? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, Brett Kulak's play on the one goal against. And Brett, he had a pretty active game tonight and he did some good things. But in the third period, it seemed like he suddenly decided he was playing right defense. And of course, he's the left defenseman on the duo. And he had a couple of issues with that. Like one time his partner, DeHarnay, had the puck and nobody was moving. So, uh, uh, Kulak decided, I think he was getting bored with the game, possibly. I know I was. And <laughs> he decides to go bursting out of his left defense situation, uh, go up to the right wing boards by the bench and, and try and get a breakout pass from uh, from Vinny. And when Vinny passes up in that general direction, he can't handle it or get a piece of it and winds up going for icing and they get a chance off. It's just a small thing. But, but then on the goal... <clears throat> He went over to the right side, so he's on his wrong side on the stick. And the guy comes in to sort of close him off, and he tries to do the spinorama backhand off the boards because he's on the wrong boards. And he just completely whiffs the puck, and it just goes off his stick. I thought first it must have hit the ref, but no, can't blame the ref for that one. He just fumbled it away. And then in the recovery on the play, uh, trying to go back and, and... uncross with DeHarnay and then at the last minute he decided he was going to try and block out DeHarnay's man and that kind of left Vinny in no man's land like the guy he should have been taking out uh, uh, Kulak preemptively took that guy and all of that confusion left uh, Troy Terry plenty of time to unleash his deadly shot into the top corner of the net and uh, put it away and just a you know momentary lapse by uh, uh, by Kulak, but momentary lapses are all it takes in this league for the for the number to change on the big scoreboard in an unfavorable way as it did there. Yeah, that was uh, that was not a good play. Um, yeah, screening the goalie, like giving it out, like he lost the battle. That happens, you know, defenseman. Yeah. That happens, and and you also screen the goalie. Defensemen screen, they screen the. Goalie. Sometimes. It's a tough position. It is a very tough position to play, but um, he he uh, didn't look good on that play at all. He did redeem himself a little bit later when he he whipped a, he stopped he held the puck in at the blue line, whipped a shot on net, and Yamamoto got a really nice tip on mm-hmm. that. So that was good to see because he had been fairly solid otherwise. But yeah, that was one. Rancid, the right side on that play too. Yeah, that was one <laughs> rancid play by uh, by Kulak. Um, Bruce, I was having a hard time coming up with my bad thing. So my bad thing is is gonna I'm gonna just say how long it's taken Jack Campbell to find his game. He looks like he's found it. That was the most assured he's looked to me. Even in the other game, the shutout game, I Mm -hmm. thought he was still struggling with his rebound control and had caused a lot of his own grief in that game, at least on a couple situations with fairly if he rebounds, there was one early in the game this in this game as well. But I just thought he he just he looked confident, he looked assured, he looked like a goalie who might be worth a long term big long term contract. The but getting to the bad thing, there was an eight game stretch there from um, 
February 11th to the 27th of March. And he did win three of these eight games. Mm -hmm. Um, But his save percentage in those eight games was 859. Yeah. Yeah. So. All is forgiven. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that is so bad. That was that was such a bad streak. And I don't want to be focusing on it because. It, no, but no, he's I, through that, it. That, he, he looks like he he's is, through it. He does look like he's through it. Like he, he had the shutout game. And I think that was huge. Yeah. And then tonight's game, he to me, um, he did let in the one goal, but he was totally screened on it. Oh, but he I looked know. better than he. Rocked to me, he looked better morning. in this game than he looked in the shutout game. Just in terms of his. His body language, his confidence, his handling of the puck, his decisions. How many his bad rebounds did we score on him tonight, David? Any? No, no, and there was four in that last game. Well, that's right, and they shut out. Yeah. So, so yeah, he he. That's been one of the big issues. There's been a number of big issues, mm-hmm. if we're completely honest. But uh, he he looked good. He looked like someone. Oh, yeah, maybe you know he looks like someone who's going to play at least one more game this year, maybe two. And um, he looks like someone uh, who may have turned a corner and may be ready to help the Oilers win a playoff game or two, which is exceedingly good news because that's why they signed Jack Campbell to a five-year deal at $5 million a year to be their number one goalie, to come up and play well in games like he has done for five years between the NHL and the AHL fairly consistently. He's been a good goalie, and he was a good goalie tonight. So uh, I'm glad the bad... Uh, stretch appears to be over and Jack Campbell may be back. Another arrow. I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit more confident saying that there's an arrow up here now after tonight's game. I said to my wife just when they were doing the goalie introductions before the puck drop, I said this is a huge game for Jack. If he can build on that last game, then then that's a real positive sign. If he, if he comes out and you know has another four goal against game, and doesn't look good, then it makes it look like a one-off. But, you know, he'd won the two starts before that, I think both five to four. But then he won that shutout, uh, you know, two nothing. No, six nothing. He got the six nothing win, my bad. And then tonight they only got two goals of support for him, and he made that stand up for a win. So good on you. You know, he didn't have to be great, but boy, he did have to be solid, and he was. Bruce, what is your number? Well, my number is, well, essentially it's one or zero. It's also kind of four, but this is the number of times all year that Edmonton Oilers have held the other team to one or zero goals. Uh, We have game number seven against St. Louis, three to one win. Game number 36, that was the next one, after Christmas when they beat Calgary 2-1. Then there was uh, January 13th early in their streak, and I think this was uh, DeHarnay's second game, just at the point they were turning their season around, 7-1 at San Jose. And then uh, three weeks ago, 4-1 against Dallas Stars. And in the first 75 games, that was it. Four games out of the 75 where they held their opponents under two goals. Okay, since then, four four games. 2 nothing over LA, 6 uh, nothing over Anaheim, 3-1 over LA, 3-1 over Anaheim. Two goals against in four games, and four in a row where they held the other team to to one or less. 
after doing that just four times out of 79, like it's a, or 75, it's just a complete sea change in the uh, defensive results. And some of it might be a little mirage because just two opponents and neither one of them are noted for being big goal scorers. But the uh, fact is that the Oilers were able to keep those teams down and almost off the board. And uh, uh, in three of the four cases, the Oilers scored only two goals against the opposing goaltender, and they won all three of those games because they were able to keep them to one or zero. Yeah, it's a very welcome turn of events I'll because say. it was worrying. Even as as they've been winning, mm-hmm. and they've just been had been leaking in the goals, and a lot of it was goaltending. You know, we just alluded to the save percentage of a certain somebody, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's, it looks like it's turning around. Um, Bruce, my number has to do with Clem Costen. And um, just when I brought up the fact that his scoring is likely unsustainable as even strength scoring, because he has a, excuse me, a fairly high even strength uh, point scoring rate um, at this point of the year, he uh, he is now after the two even strength points tonight, he ranks 89th overall for all NHL uh, forwards, regular forwards. That's 400 Jeez. plus even strength minutes, 89th, which time. makes him a top line forward mm-hmm. when it comes to um, which he definitely even strength isn't. point scoring, which he definitely isn't, but 2.13 points nice. per 60. So here's who the two players just ahead of or tied. Here are the players uh, just ahead of him Elias Lindholm. And Kyle Connor, just behind him, Jonathan Huberto and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is even strike scoring. Wow. So um, he's. I'm guessing Costin doesn't have 50 points on the power play like, like Nuge does. He does not. <laughs> Although if you put him in front of the net, you know he might have a few more. He's not a terrible player. Anyway, he is. He's getting it done. He's getting it done. And just as I, you know, said, unsustainable, unsustainable, which I, you know, do I think you'll have 2.1 points per 60 at even strength next season? If I, if he had 1.4 or 1.3 points per 60 next season at even strength, would I be surprised? I would not be surprised. Nonetheless, he really does, again, like we, we, we mentioned earlier, flash this this skill. And um, which and the, the plays he made tonight were fantastic. They were high skill plays that he was able to execute. So he's an interesting player. And if he can figure out how to be consistent and keep building on, on the game that he's bringing right now, which is the key to him for him is consistency, building on it, figuring out how to, to train correctly, eat correctly, do everything correctly. So you can be consistent in this kind of performance. Uh, he could be a, he could be a very interesting NHL player for a number of years here. So very effective one. Good for Clem Costin. Yep. Nice trade by Ken Holland, too. Indeed. So, I don't know. Are you allowed to say that, Bruce? I, I say it. And I, and I, <laughs> I went to bat for Darnell Nurse today on AM radio, and I took some heat for that. I'm not supposed to do that, apparently. So I'll, I'll ask you this question, David. If this was some other universe where... The same players came up for contract, but it's just at a different season at the at the different time. And if 
Darnell Nurse had signed his eight-year extension at $7 million a year. Um, and Ryan Nugent signed his eight-year contract at $7 million a year. Would everybody be happier? I think yes. Because uh, the uh, expectations of Nurse wouldn't be quite so off the charts as they are that people expect perfection. And yet, for some reason, I hear like a hundred notes of criticism about the nurse contract or every one whisper I ever hear about what a great deal that the Oilers got with RNH, who's way outperforming his $5 million contract. And between them, those two contracts that they both signed, like summer of 2022, a few weeks apart, uh, for $14 million for what those two players is providing, I don't think that's bad either. It's just a weird distribution of it. That's a good point. That is a good point. And the Hyman contract, obviously, is a super solid contract. I think Cody Cece's contract, Cody Cece's playing strong again. Like, he, he apparently he was injured, and that was part of the issue that we saw this year with him. He's playing really solid hockey again. There's a number. I mean, the drive settle contract, which was Shirelli's work, mm-hmm. uh, was an, obviously a brilliant contract at this point. The McDavid contract from the day it was signed was excellent because he didn't get the mat league maximum, which he could have. Anyway, this is this is the modern world, Bruce, where yeah. we all know how much the players make, where yeah. they are rated against their cap hit. Mm-hmm. And when you sign for that amount of money uh, that Nurse did, you're you're going to be there's going to you are in the line of fire. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, they push hard for every dollar they can get. I don't blame them. That's a smart thing to do. But it, it does go with the territory. And I think the, the the players recognize that it might be hard for them to to accept that sometimes when the criticism is really heavy. But I yeah. um, I I was on 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 Twitter the other day. I just said you know I think Darnell Nurse has earned his oh. cap hit this year, and uh, there was there was because he's actually playing his best hockey right now. Um, there was actually some amount of agreement with that. It wasn't everybody yelling at me that I'm wrong. Uh, I I do think that you know according to the the work that we do on grade A shots, our work indicates this is his best season. Mm-hmm. And it's all the more impressive because of the competition that he faces this, you know, he faces, he's faced it every year for the last probably four or five years. Um, since Clefbaum went out, at least he's faced the toughest competition. And to have the kind of numbers that he does on both contributing to grade A shots and, and how few he makes against grade A shots against. It's an impressive season for 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 this player. He's really playing well, and um, he's he's certainly he's certainly trending up at the right moment. And uh, fingers crossed that he's going to have one big playoff season. Right. Yeah. Well, bringing in um, Ekholm certainly has helped Nurse as well. It's it's not just trickle down to the. Yeah, rest of the players are across, but actually, I would say up to me, nurses and CC are still the top pairing, judging by minutes. But it's way closer, and what I'm way more comfortable in saying is that there's now a top four and bottom pair, as opposed to a top pair and bottom four, which is basically what we've been running the last two years, and that's Ekholm's influence coming in. But I think when you think of stop and think of Darnell Nurse as, as a top four defenseman. You, you just think about the Oilers' top four generally. Are you comfortable with it? I'm pretty comfortable with it. The way it is now, a month ago I was, or six weeks ago I wasn't. Well, if CeCe's healthy and Ek- mm-hmm. with Alcombe, yeah, I'm, it, it, CeCe has to be healthy because he, he hasn't played that well this year. 
he's he's been a, a, a notch below his mm-hmm. level of last year. He was really good last year, and this mm-hmm. year he's been just okay and inconsistent and and making too many mistakes and not moving very well. But he looks like yeah. he's turning up too. Yeah. So now that he's healthy, and I and I don't think you can underestimate that. This is really he's an important player for the Oilers because he plays such tough minutes. And uh, if he's going, he can help this team win. And then there's Ekholm, of course, who's um, just come in and done. He's been he's been outstanding. So, well, Bruce, you got any final thoughts or? Uh, oh well, five, five, six in a row, three to go. So we won't get that treasured ten game win streak this year. But uh, uh, they're fairly well positioned but it's it's a little late you know this is not the time where you'd like to see other teams with the games in hand uh that said the orders will be relatively rested going into the playoffs and i think they've got their team playing the way they want whether they finish first second or even third you know what you really want is your team healthy and and fresh and playing well going into the playoffs and it's setting up pretty good and uh, you know some were criticizing, well, why is uh, Jack Campbell getting two games out of three? You know, the starter should get at least two out of every three. and Maybe he should get two out of three on average. Uh, but there's no way that that average is going to work out. Well, he plays two and then he gets one off no matter what. I mean, Skinner played just played back-to-back games against the two top teams in division, beat them both. And now there's Campbell back in net on the back out back end of the back-to-back, playing his second game this week. And not only did Skinner get a, a couple nights off in there, but Campbell starts finding his game. And all of a sudden, the goaltending situation, obviously, with two goals against in four games, but the goaltending situation is looking way more promising and way less of an, oh, my goodness, where are we going with this, as it seemed to be for times during the year. They needed... Um, they did need to find out if Campbell could turn it around, if he can get it going. And better to find out now with relatively low stakes um, mm-hmm. than when the stakes are higher. So it has worked out for the orders uh, in this regard. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>